Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Nearly 50 million travelers would have been the norm this Thanksgiving holiday. That's not going to happen due to the pandemic. So is any traveling a positive for the airline industry? So Thanksgiving Day, or if you think about today, yesterday, over the weekend, maybe a case where they are making a profit or at least making a profit on certain flights, but that is not solving the longer term. That conversation with Georgia Tech professor Laura Garrow in just a moment, and we'll hear from Emory epidemiologist Dr. Jody Guest. Who is the family that you've been living with versus who is your family that you haven't been living with? And those you've been living with are your safe space, you share all the same risks on a daily basis. Those who are in your family who you don't normally see on a regular basis, you're bringing your risks to them or you're getting their risks if you get together for Thanksgiving. Something to consider. Those conversations coming up in just a moment. But first, new data from the Johns Hopkins University shows the average number of new coronavirus cases nationwide is at an all-time high. Now, according to the university's Coronavirus Resource Center, the U.S. is averaging 170,000 new cases a day. More than 12 million people in the U.S. have been infected. And the latest number on U.S. deaths at this time is more than 275,000. Here in Georgia, the Department of Public Health obviously continues to release information on the pandemic right here in the state. So at the time of this broadcast, the total number of confirmed cases is at 406,220. The number of hospitalizations, 34,083. And of those, we know 6,377 have been ICU admissions. And, of course, since the state began recording deaths, 8,644 since March. And as always, we get this information from the Georgia Department of Public Health. In other news, we know there's a need for so many this Thanksgiving holiday. Hosea Helps will host its annual Thanksgiving dinner. This is the 50th year. As Elizabeth Omalami told WABE's Molly Samuel earlier this week, things will be a little different. We won't be able to do the barbers and beauticians, the medical clinic, the hot showers, and the clothing distribution as we did every year. However, fresh produce, PPE, and pre-made food will be available at the World Congress Center for those in need. In order to attend this year's event, families must register online. And if you know of a family who may not be connected, then we ask that you ask them, perhaps you could register for them. Now, down in East Point tomorrow, fresh groceries will be distributed tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at the Fulton Leadership Academy. This is a drive-up contactless event open to the community. Also on Wednesday, Free Chapel Church will give away food at its three locations in Metro Atlanta. Now, the church plans to hand out four 
5,000 boxes, which will include fruit, vegetables, and dairy in Midtown, Gwinnett, and Gainesville. And we will have this information on our website as well. And now on to this. So here was the quote from the CDC. Quote, travel may increase your chance of getting and spreading COVID-19. Postponing travel and staying home is the best way to protect yourself and others this year. And for those who do wish to travel, the public health agency went on to say, yes, wear your mask, practice social distancing, and of course, wash your hands frequently. Now, will or has this travel advisory have any effect on what many of us are doing? Well, I don't know what you saw this weekend, but I saw pictures of crowded airports, although folks had their mask on. So joining me now to talk about all this is Laurie Garrow. She's Associate Director at the Center for Urban and Regional Air Mobility at the Georgia Institute of Technology, or as we plain folks say, Georgia Tech. Professor, welcome. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Rose. A pleasure to be here. And I should note you're also president of the Airline Group of the International Federation of Operational Research Societies. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a mouthful, isn't it? So <laughs> we call it colloquially Aggie Force. Um, Aggie Force is a nonprofit organization that was established in 1960. Uh, that is dedicated to what we call the advancement of operational research mm -hmm. within aviation. So basically it's the application of math models um, to help the airline run more efficiently and safer. I imagine that, and I could be wrong, you tell me, there was probably nothing in the archives or maybe there was something that dealt with a pandemic? Not a pandemic, but we have had other instances in aviation where we've had to ground our fleet, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the terrorist attacks of 9-11, sure. that was unprecedented in the airline industry for bringing our fleet um, down to the ground, although passengers got back on the planes much more quickly after that. Uh, we've also had uh, SARS, for instance, in the past that hit us, um, and we have been trying to look at some of those types of pandemics, health situations, um, terrorist attacks in the back to better model what we're doing with aviation today. But clearly today is unprecedented. Never before have we seen so many border closures, really limits of air travel throughout the world and for such a long sustained period of time. So we really are in unprecedented times. And for an industry like the airlines and I imagine also the hospitality industry, the restaurant industry, these rely on the habit of the consumer. And if the consumer feels comfortable and, and partaking in their usual habits as it relates to these industries, everything's fine. But when that is interrupted, there's really nothing the airlines could do. But how would you assess, and I think I may know the answer to this, Professor, how would you assess how the airlines have been able to get through this year so far? Right. So that's a great question, Rose. If we look at what's been happening since March, I like to view it that the airline industry has been going through different phases. So in March, um, things basically shut down and shut down very quickly. We were looking at uh, maybe 98% of our international flights that were not operating hmm. between um, you know, 80 to 95% domestically. So again, a very quick shutdown of the industry. And that stranded a lot of people internationally. So imagine you were a student in Europe, you may have had difficulty getting home. So in March and April, the airline industry shifted from really transporting passengers to looking at uh, repatriation flights or charter flights that the governments were offering in order to get their citizens and residents home. 
And there was also a big need for medical equipment, mm -hmm. right? Looking at the different places. And so a lot of the carriers started getting permission to fly cargo only flights. Um, we would start seeing flights operating in the sky that had cargo strapped to the seats in the overhead bins, as well as the belly. So at the beginning, it was really getting people home, switching to more cargo. Um, I would say March and April, we went to a period where nobody wanted to travel. And now again, we're starting to see a little uptake, right? So every week prior to Thanksgiving, prior to the peaks, uh, peaks in COVID, we were seeing air travel gently increase, I would say by about 1% a week. Uh, some areas like China have almost recovered. Uh, the Asia area is doing very well. Um, so we are surviving, if that makes sense, um, but it is difficult. The cash burn is very substantial right now. So we're looking forward to uh, better times, if that makes sense. The vaccine coming out and passengers getting back. When you say their lines are surviving, I guess someone listening may say, well, does that mean they're okay if they can take in maybe 30% of their typical you know, revenue during this holiday season, during this quarter, is there a percentage that would equate to we're doing okay, we're managing? Because the airlines will tell you <laughs> it's it's rough, obviously, and they've had layoffs, which no one wants to hear about that. How do you assess what's doing okay in terms of money-wise? Yeah, percentage? so I think the industry is looking at a place in which they call it their break-even. So where every day that you're operating in the sky, you're not losing money. So Thanksgiving Day, or if you think about today, um, yesterday, over the weekend, maybe a case where they are, you know, making a profit or at least making a profit on certain flights, mm -hmm. but that is not solving the longer term. So uh, it's really the three things we're looking at are um, you need passengers to feel comfortable flying. You need to manage the COVID exposure, if that makes sense, looking for a vaccine um, in order to get the, you know, flying public back. When we look at the major airlines, obviously Atlanta being home to Delta Airlines, we don't want to pick on Delta Airlines, but you have the combination of Delta Airlines and then the quote unquote world's busiest airport in Hartsfield-Jackson International. And so this is sort of the perfect storm because Hartsfield-Jackson International goes as one of their major tenants, you know, partners, Delta Airlines goes. So what's this been like on the airports themselves because obviously they're they're relying on their lines who are relying on the travelers so how would you assess how this has been for maybe an airport like atlanta's will be okay but maybe a smaller airport in the midwest i imagine they've had a whole different set of circumstances to deal with they are and in some ways i'm going to argue that georgia is also more exposed so i have a couple interesting facts about why aviation is important to georgia and to georgians in particular so as you mentioned, Atlanta is the world's busiest airport, but we also have eight additional commercial airports like Savannah and Brunswick, mm -hmm. as well as 94 general aviation airports like Peachtree to Cap. So a lot running out, the private jets are doing a lot of training. Georgia has 94? 94 general aviation Do you think a lot of people airports. know that? No, I don't think a lot of people know that. I didn't um, know the that. Other interesting thing, yeah. <laughs> Nin so 94 regional General aviation airports is what they're called. Like, uh, again, Peachtree to Cab Airport. That one I knew of and get Charlie Brown and all that. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of uh, aviation activity. And the Georgia Department of Transportation just finished a study this year looking at the impact of these airports on our economy in Georgia. And 15% 
of Georgia's GDP is tied to aviation activity in the state. Georgia, again, if you imagine we are the powerhouse of Atlanta Hartsfield, we are the powerhouse of having Delta Airlines. Um, Delta Airlines is the number one private employer in the state, mm -hmm. employs 33,000 employees. Um, again, Georgia found 15% of Georgia's GDP is tied to aviation. Um, and we're also the number one exporter of aerospace products. Mm -hmm. So we have more than 840 other additional companies that are really supporting aviation in the state. So clearly, if you're taking a hit, right, on um, COVID-19, mm -hmm. you can see this is not only impacting Delta, not only impacting the airports, but it's impacting all of the ripple type of industries that are supporting Delta and other types of um, aviation industries. And that can include any, anything, I imagine, from maintenance on down to, you know, fuel supply, what have you, all of those that are tied to the industry. Let me get your thoughts on this, because no airline is going to say, hey, don't fly because there's a pandemic. But we've seen airlines sort of shift their messaging, saying we are going to make sure that you have safety beyond traditional safety messaging. But because, folks, you can't escape social distancing problems on a plane. I mean, either you're going to be able to do it or you're not. What have you noticed about the airlines and their messaging to consumers, to travelers, about if they are going to travel during any time during this pandemic, that they are going to take their safety seriously? Right. So, Rose, probably the best way I can answer that is based on my own personal experience of having taken a flight um, after COVID and what I've observed both in the airport in Atlanta Hartsfield as well as on a Delta flight. So I found the experience to be um, very comforting, if I can mm -hmm. use that word, meaning, for instance, you walk into the airport, all of the physical barriers are up with the gate agents if you need to interact. Even when you're waiting in the TSA line, if you think about before you, as you're going through the ropes, someone's sitting right to your left or right to your right, they now have plastic barriers up as you're walking through the lines to physically separate you from other passengers. Mm -hmm. um, at places where you do have to touch something, so maybe touch a bin to put your luggage in, they have hand sanitizer stations located right outside the checkpoints. So when I go through, it's really the only thing I touch is putting my bag in the bin um, I don't interact with the gate agent. I use my phone to check in. When you get on the flight, they're giving you hand sanitizer to wash down your hand area. And everything's touchless. So they just hand you a bag, for instance, of uh, food and drink on the flight. Mm. Um, believe it or not, the net promoter scores for the industry, so this is you know customer satisfaction, is the highest it's ever been. So for those who wow. are flying, they're having a very positive experience. No one's sitting next to you in the middle flight on Delta. Um, everyone is being very observant on the flights that I've been on, wearing their masks. Um, the flight attendants are happy to serve you. And the other thing the airline industry has been doing is a new term they call grooming the aircraft. So this means basically whenever the aircraft pulls into the gate area, they go through and they sanitize and maybe not do the deep, deep clean, but they're doing a clean now um, between... Um, every passenger deboarding and reboarding. Mm -hmm. So the aircraft is as clean as you've ever been on, frankly. Wow. Are you so. traveling this Thanksgiving, Professor? 
We are staying in. So we are staying in. I'm going to get to cook my own little turkey dinner. (laughs) As we wrap up, I want to get your thoughts on a couple more things. First of all, when you did fly, did you get a good deal on a ticket? Because that was my next question. I imagine the airlines have had to come up with some pretty good specials. Or did we see an increase in ticket prices? Yeah, so it's interesting, um, Rose. I would say in general, the airline industry has seen a couple things go on. Um, Instead of prices, one of the things is we're seeing most people book their flights much closer to departure. So within 10 days is the average beforehand for Thanksgiving, let's say it used to be 30 or 40 days out. So there's a lot more uncertainty of when people um, basically want to commit to travel. Mm -hmm. Um, The airlines have also moved more from business markets to leisure. So those who are traveling are more visiting friends and family or traveling for leisure than they are traveling on business. So you'll see a lot more uh, flights, for instance, going to ski resorts, Caribbean resorts, um, high, you know, travel areas where there's a lot of um, people and family living in different parts of the country. So the fares have actually probably gone up a little bit, I would say. Those that want to travel are um, exhibiting a higher willingness to pay maybe than we've seen in the past for the leisure destinations. But keep in mind that we have lost a very large part of our high business fares Mm -hmm. in the past. And it's, it's a nuanced response. Absolutely. And, and Professor, regardless of the industry or the area, everyone has said, well, this pandemic is changing the way we'll do business forever. Uh, whether it's a vaccine that's going to be available next year or treatment that is coming online. Uh, airline industry, you feel will rebound. You just told me that. But how we travel is it's changed forever now. You, you agree with that? I do. I, I Just as with um, 9-11, there were a lot of changes that occurred after the terrorist attacks to better protect the public. I think a lot of the things we're seeing now are here to stay, such as I called the grooming of the aircraft between flights. Um, I think we're going to see, we may actually see more added flexibility for customers mm-hmm. in terms of the ability to ask for refunds on tickets. Look at the last minute. I think the industry is recognizing that that is what customers want and passengers want. And so we may see some changes in how we purchase our tickets moving forward. Clearly we'll be um, more touchless, mm-hmm. but worldwide, we're gonna come out of this with smaller airlines. Those emerging will be um, smaller as well in terms of um, fewer aircraft flying in the skies. But, um, you know, the other thing is, Rose, that I get excited about is there's also opportunities in a crisis, and I think it's important to focus on that. So, for instance, one problem is right now there aren't a lot of planes flying in the sky. Mm -hmm. There's no delays. You basically arrive on time with your flight. But as the industry ramps back up, it's sort of an opportunity for us to figure out when delays start happening in the system and maybe what the best mitigation strategies are for us to help prevent those delays from rippling through the system. So it's almost this natural experiment that we're going to have and opportunities that we never would have had beforehand to really learn more about focused issues like uh, flight delay propagation. Do you think, though, we've seen the end of the very crowded, I'm thinking of those huge wide body, they call them Airbus, those planes. You know, Mm -hmm. I I took a flight to the Middle East some years ago and it was packed. (laughs) We won't see those anymore. It's going to be, I think, more difficult to support the wide body aircraft. And uh, in particular, the other thing that will happen is that a lot of the first class seats or business class configurations Mm -hmm. may, you know, switch to more coach seats or allow for more social distancing. 
wow. more space between the seats. Well, they could always put a pool table and coach or the first class. That would rather. be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. I agree. And Rose, something else I think you would find interesting is as we manufacture these vaccines, mm-hmm. we need to be able to get them out to different countries, sure. uh, different places in the United States. And guess what? Airlines are likely going to play a very big role in that. And I'm particularly excited because you can imagine, just as we saw at the beginning with the cargo flights being mm-hmm. profitable, vaccines might actually be a way for the airlines to start operating routes internationally to help support the cargo, the vaccine delivery, and to get back on the road to profitability much faster. That makes a lot of sense because we just did a segment on how some of the states are going to be challenged with even just trying to get the vaccine distributed in their own state. So we may need some of these smaller airports to also play a role in that too. So that's good news to hear. Exactly. Laurie Garrow, Associate Director at the Center for Urban and Regional Air Mobility at the Georgia Institute of Technology, Georgia Tech. She's also president of the Airline Group of the International Federation of Operational Research Societies. Professor Garrow, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Maybe our next conversation will be about how the airlines are rebounding back from this pandemic. Thank you so much for taking time. Good conversation and happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. We know from the shores of Georgia's coast to the Blue Ridge Mountains, tourism is pretty popular because there's a lot to do and see here in our state. Now, according to the U.S. Travel Association and Tourism Economics and also information from the state, the tourism and travel industry generated $66.2 billion alone. That was in 2018. And that was up 4% from the previous year. We'll hear what the state did last year in just a moment. However, like pretty much everything else, except for the hand sanitizer makers, the tourism industry has experienced a drastic decline because of the pandemic. But when and how will Georgia's tourism industry rebound? Well, I recently had a conversation with Mark Jaronski. He's deputy commissioner for Explore Georgia, the state's tourism office. Commissioner, thank you for taking time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You joined Explore Georgia just this summer. Uh, you know, I've been in travel and tourism my entire career. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's what I love about it so much um, is that, it, you know, it, it truly is a, a an unalienable right of, uh, of, of certainly Americans and, 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 and quite frankly, people around the world to, to gather together um, with family and friends and, and spend quality time together and do business in person. This, this industry will be back um, just as, as soon as people feel comfortable. Um, and in the meantime, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're actually finding a way to, to, uh, to, to operate safely um, in the meantime as well. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the industry sure. overall, not just here in Georgia, not just here in our nation, but globally. I mean, I think there was an estimate that 
the global loss was right around maybe from $3 trillion to $8 trillion. In all your years of being in this space, can you think of a time where the industry, where there was such a global impact on the tourism never. industry? Yeah. Yeah, never. I mean, you know, that you look back at the prior recessions of, of 2008, the crisis, the housing crisis, the, you know, the, the, the challenging times following September 11th, and, and, and surely tourism was impacted. Anytime consumer confidence takes a hit, um, discretionary income gets pulled back and, and, and travel and tourism um, can see an impact. Um, but no, never have you seen this severity of an impact um, and, and to your point, this widespread of an impact. I mean, there is no one in the travel and tourism industry ha that has that has been able to um, be less impacted. I mean, if you're in the travel and tourism industry anywhere on this planet, um, you have seen uh, a, a, a significant impact um, by, uh, by, by the virus in particular. Obviously, the recession that's a part of the virus um, hasn't hasn't been too pleasing either, mm -hmm. uh, but it's really the health um, impact here that that has kept people from feeling um, uncomfortable doing the things they would normally do that drive the visitor spending and drive mm -hmm. the visitation that, that powers our industry. Any idea how much the state has lost though since March because of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably in excess of $10 billion mm -hmm. um, right now uh, for the, the, you know, for the for the year um, that's a lot year, of money in terms of in terms of total economic impact uh, yeah. we certainly saw um, jobs um, losses you know significant job losses uh, the travel and tourism industry was the category that led all all job losses earlier in the year again with with a certain level of comfort and and um, and a, a way to manage through this a lot of those jobs have come back, but they're still at depressed levels for for our industry. Um, and and we're you know the visitors. It's hard the, the visitor count and visitor spending comes a little bit later. It takes a while for that to calculate. Mm -hmm. We won't know that until next year. But you could certainly see that um, that that there's been a significant um, impact to uh, total economic impact um, of of our industry on the state. Um, you mentioned those small towns, and you're, and you're saying, yeah. look, to our listeners, there's still a lot to do in, in Georgia. What role are y'all playing? How do y'all help those small towns? If yes, yeah. Er, you know, earlier in the year, spring, um, uh, spring in particular, we, we stopped advertising. Uh, you know, it was, it was at the time we were still learning a lot about the virus. We collectively, as a world, um, and, and pretty much uh, us and our peers around the world in the travel industry, um, stopped advertising. We closed our welcome centers, um, and we wanted to, you know, basically understand, keep people safe, and, and understand how to manage through this. Well, come summer, um, you could see that 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 people started traveling again. And and what we decided to do um, uh, middle of the the summer, I think it was the end of July into August, um, we we got behind the Georgia Safety Promise, uh, mm -hmm. which is a campaign that was developed by. Governor Brian Kemp's office and the Georgia Department of Public Health, uh, which encourages everyone, residents, visitors, businesses, um, to do four um, uh, simple measures and take healthy health and safety protocols like like wearing a mask and and um, 
washing hands and social distancing. Um, and what we did was we got what our tourism partners across the state um, and um, and developed uh, communication to the to the traveler. We're not out there broadcasting it to, mm -hmm. to everyone because, as we mentioned earlier, there, there's a lot of folks that that are that are uncomfortable traveling. Mm -hmm. um, but through the 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 wonders of, of technology um, nowadays as a marketing organization, um, which is what we are, um, we're able to um, identify those who are travel planning on the internet, those who are seeking um, places to go for, whether it's a day trip or a weekend or, or what have you. Um, and we're able to communicate through our website and through digital marketing um, ways to travel safely across the state um, and ways to um, enjoy um, uh, outdoor adventures and state parks and beaches and mountain um, assets. And then, you know, many of our, our partners, many of those communities across the state have their own um, chamber of commerce sure. or small uh, convention and visitors bureau, or, or in some cases visit uh, Savannah in, and the Golden Isles and Atlanta have, have, have larger um, teams. So we're working closely with them to be able to um, kind of educate and inform the, the consumer today to, to let them know what's open, what's closed, mm -hmm. what's available, how to do it safely. Um, and, you know, and, and, and if there is a silver lining in, 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 in this period, um, you know, a lot of travelers have rediscovered the wonders of rural Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I think our, our, our beaches and beaches and mountains were, were no secret beforehand, but they're certainly no secret now. I mean, that we have some communities in the state that are having very, very strong years, stronger than the average year, because, mm -hmm. um, because there is so much focus on outdoors. But how do you um, do that though, even if folks are going to be traveling and we still have these increases in these cases, you know, you want to make sure that folks are safe too. No, you're right. So that's why our focus is on um, traveling safely. Uh, in fact, the last uh, effort that we just put out as an office in co coordination with, with several of these, um, these communities across the state were, was something called, we call safecation guides. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so again, for, for people who are, um, who are, you know, we are at the end of the day, a, a free country. Um, and, and there are, um, there are folks that are, um, uh, that are, 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 are traveling. Um, so we want to make sure that they do travel safely. Um, and that really is our, our focus um, for the, we're not trying to encourage um, individuals who are not comfortable to travel to mm -hmm. travel, but we do want to encourage um, those who are traveling um, and, uh, we, we want to encourage them to travel safely and to use um, the the guidelines at hand um, to be able to both um, you know do what they um, are planning on, do on doing, but but at the same time um, minimize any 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 potential spread. And and you see it in the in the you know we obviously uh, as a marketing organization work closely with a lot of research research that is particular to Georgia, as well as mm -hmm. national research that gives us an idea of, of the consumer mindset in general. And, and you see two things is um, one is you, you certainly see a, a bias toward um, outdoor recreation and, and outdoor um, mm -hmm. activities. Um, the other is we've seen um, 
a, a comfort level, um, a rising comfort level with people um, seeing others come into their community. So early on, when we go back to the spring, there was certainly a, a sensitivity to um, visitors coming into a community. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Mark Jaronski, Deputy Commissioner for Explore Georgia, the state's tourism office. And we're talking about the challenges the industry is facing right now because of the pandemic and also what the future holds for tourism right here in our state. And Commissioner, I want to pick up talking about how tourism, particularly in these smaller towns in these areas of Georgia, how they can rebound. Because, listen, if Georgia, if Governor Kemp, and although he is definitely not leaning toward that way. He's been very vocal about that. He does not want to shut down the state again. But if he has to, if it comes to that, how devastating could that be for Georgia's tourism industry? Yeah, I think that, you know, that could be, um, could put us back into a, the, the type of impact that we saw earlier, earlier this spring as an industry where um, in March and April, where the the, the industry was uh, shut down, and um, we had both a supply and a, a demand um, issue. People weren't weren't um, didn't have a demand to travel, didn't have a, a desire to travel because uh, they were scared and they were um, distracted by 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 the news. Um, and then and then we didn't didn't have the supply to offer them either because everyone was closed. Um, mm-hmm. So um, you know the, the 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 steps that that that. Governor Kemp has taken to to protect the lives and livelihoods of all Georgians has certainly um, put our tourism uh, industry in a better position um, than many tourism industries around our country. Um, uh, and um, you know we 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 certainly um, want people to travel safely and and subscribe to the Georgia Safety Promise under Governor Kemp and the Department of Health, of Health uh, for the state. Um, but, but we are, um, you know, we are we're trying to like like everyone else trying to mm-hmm. trying to balance a, a, a difficult position by put, putting people part first, um, you know, making sure that that everyone's following the, the safety and, and, and health protocols, um, while at the same time, um, you know, helping to, um, to 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 keep our industry um, serving its its customers and its guests and 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 um, and 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 keeping keeping our the employees of our industry um, employed um, and the livelihoods intact and the communities um, in as best of a, an economic um, position as they can be across our state. The tourism industry is, has been changed uh, in terms of how these areas and whether it's a local mom and pop restaurant, whether it's uh, here in Atlanta in downtown Atlanta where you have the the horse and buggy, the carriage rides, which are very popular in the summertime, all that's going to change because of this pandemic. But how do you see the future of tourism here in Georgia and what needs to happen so that, you know, we have these measures in place, but we also know that people feel safe in taking advantage of these great destinations within our state? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, and one that I've, 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 I've been asked already um, a number of times. And I, and I frankly think that the best way to answer that question, the best way to, to think about the future is to think about where we were just a year ago. Um, so at the end of 2019, we, we um, had, as a state, had achieved record um, impact in terms of economic impact from the tourism industry with $69 billion 
um, contributing to the, the local economy through tourism, travel and tourism. When we look at our, our, our website traffic throughout this year, um, there was that period of, of March and April where website traffic dipped because um, of the news of the virus. But as you look at the rest of the year, you see that our website traffic is, is up dramatically over where it was for many years prior. Um, and I, I, I think if you combine those, those two things, I think you, you see that um, there is not a, a demand issue. I think the demand for, for travel and tourism across our state and the many great assets and the, 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 the towns that we have, the private industry that, that provides um, uh, entertainment and, and hospitality to, to not only all Georgians, but, but out-of-state travelers um, exists. I think the, the, the secret is, right, we need, we need to, um, as, a, as a world and, and as a nation for sure, um, we, need to, we need to control the virus um, or, or um, you know, sort of put the virus behind us at, at some point. Obviously, there's been news of vaccines recently. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a, a travel marketing guy. I'm not a, not a doctor, so sure. I can't really weigh in on, on that. But, but certainly, um, there is no shortage of desire for people to get back out and, and do the types of travel and tourism activities that have led to this great um, economic contribution from our industry for many years. Um, but it's, it's going to take them feeling safe to do that. Sure. Um, once they feel safe, once they, the, the activity starts up again, the economy um, should, should follow suit and work hand in hand with that. And I, I personally think that um, in the in the future years, um, that 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 people will remember. Gosh, remember 2020 when we couldn't travel and we couldn't get together and we couldn't do all these fun, exciting, great things that bring us much joy and happiness. Um, and and they're not going to lose sight of that. And I, and I believe that our travel and tourism economy um, and our industry will be as strong as ever. Um, so long as you know this 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 virus isn't something that 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 um that that lasts many years into the future yeah. the key is to slow the spread of it so you know that, mm-hmm. that's got to yeah. be cute. slow the spread yeah. to the point where you know hopefully again not not being a doctor i don't i don't know i wouldn't pretend to know how to do it but but sure. at, at some point spread slow the spread to the point where there's 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 no spread there's no virus right mm-hmm. um you know, you got to believe that in, in an optimistic world that 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 uh, that this can be controlled like other diseases um, in the past. I know not every disease has been has been eliminated and sure. or or, uh, or 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 done away with. But um, but but hopefully hopefully um, this one will be. By the and, way, uh, yes. Commissioner, in doing a little research for this and I was looking up the 10 most popular attractions in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Obviously mm-hmm. we had the, you know, Georgia Aquarium and here in the Botanical mm-hmm. Garden. I was surprised that the Okefenokee Swamp was up in there mm-hmm. now. It's cool till I read they had an estimated 10,000 alligators. <laughs> <laughs> alligators are, are a great attraction. I, yeah, I and, and I'm going to let them personally. stay where they need to stay and I'm going <laughs> to stay where I need to stay. But yeah, folks, if you want to check out the Okefenokee Swamp, it is still there and for what I understand, it's yeah, no one's gonna bother you 
well, maybe one of the alligators, but it is definitely a, a favorite. Commissioner, I really appreciate you taking the time. Mark Jaronski is Deputy Commissioner for Explore Georgia, the state's tourism office. Commissioner, thank you so much for taking the time. And you know, maybe next time we talk, we'll be talking about the fact that Georgia's tourism industry has rebounded. But we'll have to wait and see, won't we? We will definitely have that conversation. We are uh, we are positioned to do so, and uh, working with our our partners across the the state. Um, that that day will come um, at some point. But I will not meet you at the Okefenokee Swamp to do the interview. Just let you know. <laughs> we'll see. You've got some time on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Commissioner. I appreciate it. Thank you. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Despite the Thanksgiving travel advisory from the CDC, lots of folks are traveling anyway, and others will have a much smaller gathering than usual. What are your plans? Well, this year's holiday season, of course, will be like no other because the U.S. is also experiencing its worst period for COVID-19 new infections to date. Now, when asked about Thanksgiving and suggestions for gathering, Here's what Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease doctor, had to say. Well, what most concerns me now is, you know, the immediate situation with people traveling uh, from different places, coming home for Thanksgiving. When you leave a location, have to go to an airport or wherever it is, a train station, et cetera, the possibility of exposing yourself and then going home to your home community for, you know, a wonderful traditional Thanksgiving holiday might actually unfortunately be a source of an even amplification of the surge. I'm concerned about that in the very immediate future of the next few days, but I'm also concerned of the numbers that are going in the wrong direction with regard to cases, with hospitalizations, deaths, all the things that are the warning parameters that we're in the middle of a really serious situation. Mm. Dr. Anthony Fauci talking about traveling this Thanksgiving. He was on PBS NewsHour just yesterday. Meanwhile, for Georgia, the White House Coronavirus Task Force most recent report referred to the state's increase in test positivity as, quote, an early sign of future deterioration, close quote. I recently talked with Emory University's Dr. Jody Guest. She's a professor and vice chair of the Department of Epidemiology at the Rollins School of Public Health. So, what are your Thanksgiving plans? Uh, I think my Thanksgiving plans are really different this year, although uh, hopefully, like most other people's, I'm no longer traveling home to see my family like I normally do. Mm-hmm. I will be outside with my immediate family uh, eating Thanksgiving dinner on the back deck. Now, recently, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms told reporters that she nixed her own mother's Thanksgiving Day plans. Take a listen. My mother called me about a month ago and said she thought we could have dinner at my niece's house and we try and keep it to just 50 people this year. So I, you know, quickly shut that down and reminded her that that was probably uh, 45 people too many. So we'll be doing virtual Thanksgiving dinner um, in our family. Now it is hard to go against mama. I know that, but 
What do you make of that? I mean, a lot of families, not just Mayor Bottoms' mother, there are a lot of I mean, I have family members that say, well, maybe if it's just all of us. I'm like, that's not the solution, y'all. Um, why do you think people, for some people, they feel like, well, if it's just our tight-knit family, but you say no. And, and 50 is a lot. I mean. 50 is a lot. I don't have a family that that's big, that's that big for Well, sure. I do, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think the difference is who is the family that you've been living with versus who is your family that you haven't been living with. And those you've been living with are your safe space. You share all the same risks on a daily basis. Those who are in your family who you don't normally see on a regular basis, you're bringing your risks to them mm-hmm. or you're getting their risks if you get together for Thanksgiving. Something else that Dr. Fauci and other scientists and health experts are saying, it's time to abandon this state-by-state approach for, you know, mitigating the risk here. But there should be a national strategy. What do you make of that? Um, You know, I think that having people have different approaches to it has been confusing. Mm -hmm. It is an easy way for us to get our science messaging out to the public in in different ways that can be used against each other. We need a very consistent, positive message about what we should all be doing to help each other and ourselves stay safe as we wait for vaccines to be available for us. And we are now seeing some states that initially were not big on mandatory masks and facial coverings. For example, Iowa, earlier in the year, Governor Kim Reynolds referred to the preventive measures such as masks and and even shelter-in-place orders. And I'm quoting the governor back then. She said those were, quote, feel-good measures. Well, now she has reversed course. Uh, My question for you, Dr. Guest, if all the states could have enacted these measures early on, same time, months ago, where might this nation be regarding the coronavirus? So you're asking a question about something we deal with all the time in epidemiology. What's the counterfactual if we'd done this differently um, a long time ago? And um, I think we all can say we wish we would have. We believe we would see fewer cases. We believe our needing to stay socially distanced would have been shorter. Um, We believe we would have far, far fewer deaths across the United States. Mm -hmm. Wow. By the way, counterfactual sounds like an indie band out of Athens somewhere. It's a good name for <laughs> a band. Be a good one. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, Georgia being the, one of the first states to open back up for business, mm-hmm. a mistake, misstep from state officials, and, and obviously it, it starts with Governor Brian Kemp, you think? You know, I think that um, our numbers started to rise immediately after that, and um, we could all wish that we had stayed socially distanced a bit longer. Mm-hmm. I asked a Morehouse School of Medicine researcher, Dr. Lily Immergluck, about what was so complex about this virus that you know we didn't know, obviously, back in February that we know now. I'm going to ask you this. What has stood out for you in terms of what we know now, what folks like you know now about this virus? Well, I think the fact that it's a novel coronavirus, and so we're learning every single day about it, is an incredibly important thing to remember. When we change the messaging we have, um, it is usually based on new information and we should all want to be learning as we move forward. The original messaging about masking not being super necessary has been a really big stumbling block to come back from. Mm -hmm. And in a large part that was to save masks in our very small supply for healthcare professionals. And um, in retrospect, we probably should have explained that much better. 
I know obviously the big news has been with the vaccines, but I want to get into something else that just was was reported yesterday, and that is the FDA approved the first COVID-19 diagnostic at-home self-test that will reportedly provide rapid results. Uh, your thoughts on that, because there's so many concerns about false negative results. So do you have some concerns about this being the first FDA-approved at-home self-test? Because I imagine folks are already online trying to pre-order them. By the way, folks, you spend maybe about 50 bucks. I'm just letting y'all know. Yeah, about $50 to get it home. I We definitely need more testing and we need more ways to get it. And getting testing at home is something that we've been doing with HIV and, and um, you know, for PrEP and HIV work. And so I am fully in support of that being where we need to move. We do need to be careful about false negatives. We also need to be careful about knowing that a test means you're um, testing in a time zone and you may be testing too early and you may not yet test positive, even if you are going to be um, or going to test positive later. And so it is not a get out of jail card free, um, you know, test. And you also need to remember that it's only your um, how you're testing right then. So mm-hmm. if you go out and go, you know, to a really crowded event the next day, your risks are very different, even though you just had a negative test. What are your thoughts on folks who say, well, maybe I need to just go get the antibodies test um, to see if I have, you know, had, had contracted the virus and didn't know it? Do you think that is helpful? Because I, I, a lot of people say, I'm just going to go do that because I keep testing negative, but maybe I already had it. So they go on. Right. You think that's a good idea? So the antibody tests are um, a little hard to understand at the moment. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're just, they're just going to tell us if we've had it. And, and the problem is we don't know what that means. Mm. So we don't yet know if I've had it if I am actually protected from getting it again, or if I am, how long I'm protected. So it's an interesting thing to know. It's not particularly helpful um, in helping us know how we should be interacting with each other. Regardless of antibody tests, we should still all be masking. We should still all be socially distancing. Do we know that if you've contracted the virus before that you can contract it again? I've heard conflicting Again, that goes back to the messaging, which is what you talked about. Exactly. We didn't know that. Um, We do now believe you can. There have been a couple of cases that have been very well documented in the medical literature showing some genetic differences in a secondary case of COVID-19. How common that is, Mm -hmm. we don't yet know. Mm. Early on, it was folks with underlying, underlining conditions, perhaps those in our senior community, um, and now the 18 to 35-year-olds, you know. And, and then also now we're hearing anybody can contract this virus, and depending on what you have or don't have, you, you can still be at risk because this virus kills. What is th- That's still baffling to scientists or folks like you all. You all haven't been able to just pinpoint. At this point, is it just safe to say everybody is at risk when you, for contracting this virus, point blank and period? Absolutely. Yeah, everyone is at risk and no one needs to think that they're um, immune to this um, because we don't have vaccines yet to help with our immunity. We This is another stumbling block message we had at the beginning when we focused on our really high risk populations to really work to try to protect them and make sure that they knew that they were in the high risk groups. It That seemed to have been interpreted as if I'm not in that group, I am not going to get this. And that's not correct. 18 to 29 year olds, as you pointed out, are our highest number of cases in the state of Georgia. 
And we should note, folks, don't just kick your 18 to 29 year olds out to the curb. Just <laughs> you can't come to dinner. Just sit on the porch. That's right. <laughs> Put them in a mask. Folks like you, the scientists and, and everyone who's working on whether it's a vaccine or trying to study this virus and and trying to come up with as much information. I want to focus on the Atlanta region and brag on y'all for a moment because from Morehouse School of Medicine to Emory to Georgia State to UGA, every all these great institutions here um, working together, what does it say about the, the Atlanta area of, you know, uh, institutions and scientists and all that and what you all have been able to do? Because you've been down this road before with Ebola, obviously with HIV AIDS from way back. Um, again, once again, the Atlanta region is at the center of, of possibly being, you know, being able to either come up with a vaccine or, or, or a treatment for this. Right. It's an exciting city to live in, no doubt. I mean, this is actually why I moved to Atlanta was to come here for these institutions. You know, we have a robust educational system in Atlanta and we have some of the brightest minds um, in public health who live around here with CDC and Emory and Georgia Tech and Morehouse and UGA. And so it's exciting to have these incredible colleagues who are available and to see institutions who are working together Mm -hmm. because this is for the common good. And so there's nothing, um, you know, about needing to be separated from each other. We are all trying to make a difference and a positive impact in this pandemic so that people will not die, so that the suffering will stop, so that we can all get back to a semblance of normalcy, which we're all certainly yearning for. And so I imagine, Dr. Guest, when we hear reports, and NPR had a report on this, I believe, on Monday, about folks, the messaging that's been spread that this is a hoax, it's not real, it's just a real bad flu or a bad pneumonia. When you pneumonia, when you hear that, and that's that goes up against the science, and we keep hearing everyone says, let's follow the science. And then when you hear that type of messaging up against what you all are doing, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's disheartening. And I think a bunch of us spend a lot of time trying to make sure really good information does get out to the communities um, and the, the general population. It's important that we share what we know. It's important when we share what we have learned that's different than what we've said before. But it is hard to hear folks who are frankly spreading um, inaccurate Um, statements about COVID-19. It's not helpful. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, people are dying because of it. In fact, at the time of this broadcast, the U.S. is at a quarter million deaths. Um, Indeed. We've had 1.7 million cases in the last 10 days. What do you see going into 2021 and where this nation will be with this pandemic? So we've got some bright lights in our tunnel. We've got two vaccines that are incredibly effective, way more effective than we would have anticipated, and they're going to be coming. But until then, we all have a lot of personal responsibility about doing the things that are under our control to to keep ourselves safe and our family and loved uh, ones safe and our communities safe. Um, especially as we try to get our children back to school Mm -hmm. um, after the holiday break. So we need to continue to talk about wearing our masks. As a scientist, as a scientist through your lens, Mm -hmm. should, I mean, we know some institutions of higher learning are going to bring back some students. It's not clear what some of the K through 12 school systems will do, but if you were 
advising them, what would be your advice about that decision? You're going to bring, bring them back? I think you can come back to school. Yeah, I think you can come back to school safely. Um, there are, are agreements that need to be put into place in order to do that. So it's about um, asking people to stay distance before they come back to get tests. To, um, the schools that have been testing regularly have been very successful at staying open. They test regularly and they have mandatory masking. Those are really critical components to having a very successful educational opportunity that's in person. From Emory University, Dr. Jody Guest, professor and vice chair of the Department of Epidemiology at the Rollins School of Public Health. Dr. Guest, as always, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Have a good Thanksgiving with your family outside. Thank you so much, Rose. I hope you have a good and safe Thanksgiving as well. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of this any of this broadcast, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcast. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.